Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Luke Lampy. Today, we're going to be talking about UFC Vegas 61, Mackenzie Dern versus Yan Zhao Nan, because it's going down this Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Private viewing, Luke. I heard my boy Mark Zuckerberg rented out the Apex to him and his closest friends. No media going to be there, but man, what a hell of a main event you got. The world champion did black belt, Mackenzie Dern, taking out one of the best strikers in the division, Yan Zhao Nan. A lot of people have been complaining about this main event, but I'm looking forward to it, Luke. How's it going? Pretty good, man. Yeah, looking forward to chopping this card up with you. I know we got another break week after this, which kind of sucks, and then we kind of take this all the way into the, the back part of the year. But, yeah, it should be a fun card, man. Absolutely is. And, uh, listen, I know a lot of people have been crying about this, but – I'm not one of those people, and I'll tell you why. And I'm not just trying to sit here and be different and, you know, this and that for the sake of doing it. The reality is that, like, the kind of main events I cry about are, like, Holly Holm main events. Like, you remember, like, when Holly Holm Faviera in the co-main event was Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Michelle Pereira? On this show, I literally treated it as if Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Michelle Pereira was the main event because between you and me, that was the main event. And then the Holm-Vieira fight ended up being one of the worst fights of the year. This fight between Zhao Nan and Dern is not going to suck. Like, for y'all watching this that just want to be entertained, I'm telling you, this fight is not going to suck. If it hits the mat, you already know Mackenzie Dern is the table. And on the feet, Yan Zhao Nan is one of the meanest chicks in the division. So let's break uh, this fight down because in the main event in the strawweight division, we got Mackenzie Dern. She's 12-2, taking on Yan Zhao Nan, who is 15-3. And currently, um, we're going to be reading off... Uh, DraftKings odds because they they sponsored today's episode. Shout out to DraftKings. They got it minus two twenty five. Mackenzie Dern the comeback on Yan Xiaonan is plus one ninety. So Luke, it's an interesting fight. I mean, on paper it's kind of black and white. We think if it hits the mat, it favors Mackenzie. On the feet, it favors Yan Xiaonan. Is it that black and white, or is there something more we need to be looking into here? Uh, I guess I kind of fall more into the the black and white crowd personally. Uh, obviously, the questions with Dern always kind of come with her wrestling still hasn't really translated. I think only landing like nine, her takedowns at like 9%. Or so one thing I do think with Dern, though, I do think her standup has improved. And I was actually kind of impressed with her performance against Torres uh, standing, at least. I thought she did a lot. I thought she showed a lot better things. I think she outlanded her on head strikes like 42 to 19. She's always kind of been consistent to come forward, but I think she has tightened things up uh, a bit in recent years. At the same time, I do still think it's kind of a quasi-levels fight on the feet. I think Jan's proven to be pretty technical, keep a solid work rate, um, decent footwork. I mean, we saw her go out there and, and give Marina Rodriguez one hell of a scrap on the feet, who, in my opinion, is one of the best technical strikers in the division. I don't think many people would disagree. So if that doesn't tell you what, you know, the, the caliber of striker that Jan Janan is, I don't know what does. So uh, it just it's one of those spots, man. You got 25 minutes. Can can Dern get the takedown? You know, Jan has shown some hittable tendencies in the pocket. So, I, you know, I don't necessarily think it's like a complete wash for Jan on the feet, but I, I would have to moderately favor her. Um, on just general pacing and technical acumen. And the problem I have here with Jan is obviously the Esparza fight. You know, we know Esparza is one of the best wrestlers in the division, no doubt about it. But historically, Esparza has been more of your kind of like lay in the guard, lay and pray, pepper shot type of girl, rack up control time minutes. But she just emasculated homegirl Jan on the ground. You know, she was able to pass her guard pretty easily. 
you know, and, and get the job done. And obviously I heavily favor, or I heavily favor Dern on the ground, but I heavily value uh, what Dern is able to do on the ground. And she's also one of those girls who doesn't always necessarily need takedowns, right? She can jump on girls' backs in the clinch. She can pull guard. She can force leg lock transitions. So it's not necessarily she has to score a conventional takedown to get this fight in the grappling. And just what I've seen from Jan, at least historically, it hasn't been pretty, you know, outside of this sports fight. We saw Angela Hill sticker in that triangle. Probably, honestly, might have finished her if there's a few more uh, a few more seconds uh, left on the end of that round. So, yeah, I, I'm kind of with the general crowd that it's probably one uh, one takedown uh, might be this fight. But who knows? I mean, Jan could have could have leveled up, gotten a lot better in that capacity. But yeah, it's just always really interesting and, and difficult to to cap McKenzie during fights. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I mean. I'm just curious if it really is a one takedown situation because I kind of thought the Jordan Rodriguez fight was a one takedown situation. She even took her down in that fight. I think she even passed a full mount, uh, and Ro Rodriguez was able to survive that round. Next round starts on the feet and was able to uh, stuff the subsequent takedown attempts. So hopefully for Yan's sake, if you know worst case scenarios happen, she can survive in those spots. And if she can, the next round always starts on the feet. And the aforementioned Yan versus Rodriguez fight, I think that that's the best bet I've made this year that hasn't cashed. Like, I bet Yan, like, I think plus 275, plus 265, something around there, maybe plus 250. I don't remember at the top of my head, but I better too. <laughs> I'd make that bet 10 times out of 10, like a close split decision that could go either way, and you're getting like plus 275 odds. So, I was actually really happy with that bet. Obviously, I would have loved to get, you know, Yan's arm raised, but it is what it is. I'll keep making bets like that. Here, it just comes down to, are you willing to roll the dice on Yan knowing, you know, what could potentially happen if this hits the mat? Um, I think I am. You know, obviously the Esparta fight is a concern, but we've seen other fights where she's been in there with black belts. She's gotten taken down, you know, the first round against Claudia Gadelia. She was able to survive, and then the next two rounds was able to stuff the takedowns. So we've seen, you know, other spots where Claudia Gadelia. You know, I'd say that she's also a black belt in jiu-jitsu just like Dern, but maybe the wrestling isn't quite there like Esparza, similar to Dern. But like you mentioned, you know, the Tisha Torres fight, I was in attendance, that was in Florida. She's got some slick ways to take the back. And to her credit, she's been leveling up on feet too. She's been working with Jason Perillo, who's been, you know, improving the boxing, not just Mackenzie Dern, but also Malone Chito Vera, responsible for UFC champions like BJ Penn and Michael Bisbing. So, I mean... I definitely expect Dern to be getting better. I just don't think that she's going to be catching up to Yan Zhaonan on the feet. And likewise, I don't think that Yan Zhaonan is going to be catching up to Matt, you know, to the jujitsu acumen uh, of someone like Mackenzie Dern. But to give Mackenzie Dern some credit on the feet, even though it doesn't look the prettiest, she's got some pop, you know, for a, for a straw weight. I've seen her drop people before. She definitely hits pretty hard for that weight class's standard. And she's definitely going to be tightening things up. So, it just depends on what happens here in the mat. I think I'm willing to roll the dice, put one unit on Yan Zhaonan, and if it hits the mat, hopefully she can survive to see the next round and not get submitted. But I'm not an idiot, and I know that the submission is is live here for Mackenzie Dern. But I think that uh, Yan Zhaonan is going to be winning the minutes on the feet here. And hopefully, don't even let it hit the mat, but if it does survive, get me to the next round and win that round, I'm going to go with Yan Zhaonan for this upset. Yeah, dude, I think I think she's the side as well, at least at, at the price. I think I'd be I'd feel better about taking a shot if it was three rounds and not five rounds, but I, I do think she's the side at the price. Yeah, I mean, look, there's obvious concerns, no doubt about it. So we'll just have to see how this one plays out. But 
Co-main event of the evening in the welterweight division, we got Randy Rudeboy Brown. He's 15 and four. Taking on Francisco Masuranduba Trinaldo, who's 28 and eight. And currently at DraftKings Sportsbook, they got it. Randy Brown minus 305. Lose the comeback on Francisco Masuranduba is plus 255. So, I mean, if this was a pick, I might be all over Randy Brown here. Uh, but Randy Brown, I think he's extremely talented. I think he's long. I think he's a guy that. Every single time you see these improvements, but you know, to cover minus 305, like you know, there can't be any moments for Trinado, and Trinado seems to have a hell, a hell of a lot of moments, man. And I mean, it's funny because he's uh, he's like what, four, five years old, 40, yeah, 44, I think, and he's won four of his last five, so I mean. It's like this guy's like an ageless wonder. He's like a fine wine. He gets better with time. If someone said my uh, audio was a little shaky, can you hear me okay? Yeah, it's just, it kind of like pops a little bit. Like you can hear a lot largely what you're saying, but it's just like kind of like the mic makes like a popping sound every once in a while. But yeah. Okay. Well, sorry about that, guys. I had like a whole thing going this whole week, but uh, hopefully y'all can get the gist of what I'm saying. That's uh, that's my hope. Um but let me know in the comments if y'all can hear what I'm saying, all right? If not, I'm going to have to switch my laptop. It will be shittier camera quality, but maybe you'll be able to hear everything I'm saying. But um, anyways, Randy Brown, obviously super talented, finally turning into the guy that we once hoped he'd be because I, I thought the guy was someone to look out for since day one. He's finally putting it all together. But, I mean, last fight against Chaos Williams, you know, I bet him at, like, plus 115. Definitely didn't cover no minus 305 in that fight, but that's, you know, against a younger, fresher guy. What do you think here, man? I mean, you think he's going to look minus 300 in the spot? Yeah, you kind of brought up an interesting point, you know, Trinaldo 4-1 and one in his last five, and I was kind of just running back through the timestamps. You know, something I talk about and a lot of people talk about all the time, too, is, you know, once that those fighters hit 40 years old, you know, it's kind of the the point of no return for you for usually most guys or, you know, there's, you know, this clear downward trajectory. It's not the case for Trinaldo actually since turning 40 years old, he's six and two in the UFC. And you can make an argument seven and one with that Alexander Hernandez fight, which I mean, was essentially 50, 50. You could have easily given that fight to Trinaldo too. So there's a very real scenario where homeboy is seven and one uh, at uh, 40 plus years old at the UFC level fighting solid competition. And that's the thing with Trinaldo, man. I just and I don't think people I think people are kind of glossing over that a little bit as if Trinaldo falls into that like category of just, you know, a guy who's just looking terrible in his 40s or on this big losing streak or losing to bums. It's like Trinaldo like defies that. He's kind of in an, a, a category of his own uh, in that right. So I think people need to pump the brakes on that narrative because it's just categorically not true and unfounded. Um you brought up another good point as well with Trinaldo is that dude will sling big body kicks. He'll sling big overhands. We obviously uh, saw him have Jai Herbert uh, or hurt him uh, significantly in that fight. And he has this way to kind of like lull his way into like closer fights. Even early on in the Salikov fight, he looked really good in my opinion. It was just kind of when he got dropped at the end of the the, the first that the, the tide started to change a little bit. But in general, Trinaldo usually isn't getting, you know, blown out of the water minute to minute by anybody. And so going back to your point of Randy Brown being minus 300, in my opinion, for him to cover a minus 300 price tag, you'd have to think he finishes Trinaldo 
at a decent size clip, which is possible, right? You know, we have seen Trinaldo get dropped, I think, in two of his last four fights. So, you know, the durability might be going a little bit there. So there, there is some merit to that, but I'm just not sold, man. And there's still some wishy-washy tendencies with Randy Brown at the same time too, right? Like he's not necessarily the most consistent minute-to-minute fighter. He's been hurt multiple times. We know he can get taken down and play from his back uh, at times as well. Like the best way I could classify Randy Brown is the type of guy you want to back as an undervalued dog. I was right on him with you against Chaos Williams at like 116. I played as well. And I think the ROI numbers show that as well. Randy Brown uh, returns uh, at 61% as a dog and only 14% as a favorite. So in to lay minus 300, I mean, you have to think he's at least 80% in this fight. And it's even at 44, how many guys are really 80% over a guy like Francisco Trinaldo? Like that's, that's, that's my thing, but I understand he is 44 years old. You know, the, the, the carpet kind of drops off from all, all these guys at some point, but X's and O's wise and how Trinaldo has still been performing at this age. I'm very close to taking the, the big dog shot on, on Trinaldo. I think people are going to continue to parlay uh, Randy Brown. Um, and I, I, like I said, I just, I only think he covers that price tag. If he, if you think he finishes Trinaldo at a high clip um, and I'm not sold, but I mean, Randy Brown, obviously bigger, more youthful three fight winning streak in the better part of his career. Trinaldo historic 155 up at 170, you know, he is going to, you know, have somewhat of a tall task here. I just don't, I I think the line's wide at the end of the day. It is wide. I mean, Charles is one of those guys, obviously that big left hand has dropped many people throughout his UFC career, can mix in those opportune takedowns, has been the distance many, many times. I mean, the guys had, what, 20 UFC fights or around there, but at the end of the day, just on a pure pick level, you know, 12-year age gap, set uh eight inch reach advantage the volume edge for those reasons i do have to go with randy brown it's just again i'm not crazy about you know minus 300 minus 305 randy brown's a guy i like to either bet as an underdog or if i'm gonna bet him as a favorite you know in the past it was against like guys like mickey gall right um the last fight against chaos was plus 115 you know, minus 300 should be reserved for mismatches and i'm not sitting here saying that he's not going to come out here and finish Trinado because he very may he very might well you know um like Trump has been finished before randy brown is getting better it's just before the fact it's tough to predict that as an outcome for me at least i know some of y'all are very confident in randy brown parlaying him so if he comes out here and he does his thing won't shock me at all but it also won't shock me if this is a competitive three-round fight so the pick is randy brown i'm just uh before the fact i'm not sure about this price tag now Next up, we got the featured out in the bantamweight division. We got Hyoni Barcelos. He's 16 and three, taking on Trevin Jones, who's 13 and eight. Currently on DraftKings Sportsbook, they got it. Hyoni Barcelos minus 225. The comeback on Trevin Jones is plus 190. So this is my first bet of the night. I took Hyoni Barcelos about a week ago at minus 196. So I understand the concerns, you know, he might possibly be on the decline. He's getting up there in age, this and that, which I think are fair things to say. However, I don't think that that last fight he had against um, Victor Henry is really much of a concern here in this fight. Reason being is this. This dude, Victor Henry, threw 397 strikes, uh, Luke. (laughs) That's one thing that... um, 
I know Trevin Jones isn't out here doing. Trevin Jones is one of these guys that kind of reminds me of Woodley a little bit, backed himself into the fence, lands that one big strike, and he's got knockout power for sure. And I think his path to victory here is a knockout, and if he gets that knockout, I'll prop to him. But I think just on volume alone, I think that Hione Barcelos is going to be winning the minutes of this fight, and I always love the volume angle. If you can double, triple up your opponent on output, I just love taking guys like that, and I love betting on guys like that. So I'm going to be betting on Hione Barcelos here, hoping he doesn't get knocked out, because if he doesn't get knocked out, I think he's winning this fight. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I took Hione uh, at minus 200 as well, and I think we're kind of getting a bit of a buy-low spot on Hione. I know it's chalky you know on paper at minus 200 but usually you know you're having to pay you know 300 400 500 600 for a guy like barcelos and i thought you you broke down the fight well and, and kind of hit on my main point of really just the volume i mean the volume difference is massive jones is kind of more of your tempered outside type of guy who kind of needs to find the big shot you know we know that hyoni's consistent to come forward let his hands go dictate the pace of his fights and I just think that's a pretty bad stylistic matchup for uh, Jones in that capacity. Yeah, Jones, you know, has shown some pop. He can he can uh, potentially knock out Barcelos. Barcelos has gotten you know wobbled a little bit in recent years, but historically, you know, he he has been durable, which needs to be noted. And obviously, you have those kind of two shining moments for Jones at the knockout over Valiev and Bautista, where you know on the rap sheet, really excellent Ws, but. He was technically losing both of those fights prior to finding the kill shot. Even if you go back further on in his career, he hasn't been a perennial knockout artist prior to those fights. So how much actual power he has, I'm still not, I'm not like 100% willing to say he's like this big, massive pure power threat. Cause it's not like he has like a 90% knockout rate or anything like that. Um, and then I think Barcelos has clear wrestling and grappling advantages uh, in this fight too. You know, he doesn't always go to it. Um, but obviously an established black belt, I think with his, you know, general belt lineage dating back to like Carlos Gracie or something like that. He was a Brazilian state national wrestling champion. Uh, pretty much nobody's had any sort of, uh, you know, grappling or wrestling success against Barcelos in the past. So I don't really see that as being a path for Jones. I kind of think he's KO or bust in this spot. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a match between Sodik Yusuf. He's 12 and two taking on Don Shanus, who was 12 and three. Currently, they got it. Sodik Yusuf minus 900. The comeback on Don Shanus is plus 625. So I respect Don Shanus. You know, I like him. He's a guy who actually fought my buddy, uh, Nate Williams. Nate Williams beat him in a five-round fight. It was a good back-and-forth fight. And I think that Don Shanus is definitely ready for this UFC opportunity. It's just, you know, jump into the top 15 on your first fight. You know, I'm... I'm not I'm not so sure about his chances, but I also think the line reflects that. You know, I don't think that there's much value on Sodiq at minus 900. Uh, unfortunately, because I love betting on Sodiq Yusuf, but I love betting on him at, at bettable lines. And this is an unbettable line. So if you know something about Janus, which I do, but I'm personally, you know, not convinced that he wins this fight. But if you think he's gonna get the upset, you know, throw a half unit on him. But I just don't think so, man. I think that Sodiq Yusuf has too much firepower, and not to mention. Like, this guy comes from a jujitsu gym. Like, let's not forget, like, this guy's jujitsu lineage. So, I think that if it hits the mat, he's got a big advantage there as well. I think that he probably plays it safe here, gets it done. 
the question is, is it going to be a finish or a decision? I'm not sure. But so he gets it done, and then I think he moves on to some bigger, better things. And Don Chanis will be back. Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you. We've seen spots like this pretty much over and over again. Shane is coming in on two weeks' notice. I don't I don't think he's bad or anything. I mean, he's shown some power on the feed. He's shown some wrestling upside in the past, too. I think he can probably get some wins at the UFC level, but I just my general assumption of him is I I don't necessarily think he has much longevity in the UFC, and he's probably always going to be like a just a really high-level regional fighter, which is completely fine, to your point. It's just such a, a big step up in competition on on short notice against you know a, a battle tested dude who's just much more physical much more athletic hits much harder um obviously fought the better brand of competition so tough ask uh, i also just don't think shanus has has the cardio at least in this spot um to sustain the game plan he's going to try to go to so i think sadiq finds his chin along the way now next up we have an 140-pound catchweight bout between John Castaneda. He's 90-5, taking on Daniel Willie Catch Santos, who is 9-2. And, and currently, they got it. John Castaneda, minus 195. The comeback on Daniel Santos is plus 165. So um, I got a bet on this one as well, man. So I took one unit on John Castaneda, excuse me, one unit on Daniel Santos at plus 175. And a lot of people are like, what the hell are you thinking? Because they're so impressed by that Castaneda versus Miles Johns fight, which I, I understand. It was a very impressive fight. But what you got to understand is that Miles Johns is another one of these guys, kind of like Trevin Jones, that doesn't throw anything at all, has no gas tank, is more of an athlete than you know, than a guy that's going to bite down on that mouthpiece and be there the entire time. And I think Daniel Santos is going to be there the entire time. I think Daniel Santos is going to get right in John Castaneda's face. I think he's going to make him fight. And I think they're going to have an honest three-round scrap. So with that being said, you give me an honest three-round scrap, and I like the plus 175 odds on Daniel Santos. Um, I like John Castaneda. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he's bad by any means, and I think that he has been looking more impressive every single fight. I just think you got to put some context into it, man. Uh, the Eddie Wineland fight, I thought he was getting touched up the entire time until he until he finally clipped Eddie Wineland on Eddie Wineland's retirement fight. This is Eddie Wineland coming off the Sean O'Malley knockout, which was uncomfortable to watch. And that Eddie Wineland was touching up Castaneda. Next fight against Miles Johns. Miles Johns has no volume, and Miles Johns is not the toughest guy. Miles Johns is a great athlete, but when the going gets tough, Miles Johns does not bite down on that mouthpiece. Daniel Santos will bite down on that mouthpiece. Not to mention... Daniel Santos' last fight against Julio Arce was his first fight since 2019. Now that he's got his feet uh, under him a little bit, he's got his feet wet inside the octagon, I think he's, I think we can expect a better performance this time. And he threw a lot in that fight against Julio Arce. He just happened to miss a lot of those shots. I think that Julio Arce is a lot slick on the defensive side than, uh, than John Castaneda is. I think John Castaneda will give one to take one, which is a quality we love as fans. But if I'm laying... Two to one on someone. Uh, I don't want it to be that close. I think it will be that close. So give me the plus one seventy five on Daniel Santos here, and I hope he comes out here and uh, edges this one out. Yeah, we're gonna agree on this one as well. Uh, I think you pretty much hit on all my main points. So I don't want to rehash everything, but um, yeah, that's kind of the thing with Santos. I think he's still a bit of a wild card. I think he's getting a little a little disrespected based on the RSA fight. I mean, RSA is like a fringe top 15 guy and a, a pretty strong defensive striker. I know he recently got knocked off by Song. Um, but in general, pretty sound defensively. And we also saw RSA 
push a much higher pace in that fight than he has pretty much historically ever, which needs to be noted too. So it's just a tough ask for Daniel Santos in his debut. And yeah, that's the thing with Castaneda. Like you said, the, the Wineland fight I thought was incredibly competitive prior to the, to the uh, knockout, the Jones fight I thought was also, I'm sorry, the Jones, the Johns fight I thought was pretty competitive through the first six minutes. And then, uh, John's pretty much just his cardio dumped and Castaneda was able to take over. But that's the one thing that's consistent with Santos is this dude's gas tank's good. You go back and watch some of his fights in Russia where, you know, he's fighting all these Sambo guys who are just relentlessly trying to wrestle him and take him down and stuff. Dude's not huffing and puffing at all. Like he's, he's completely fine under like a really taxing, you know, up down type of style. And he's even been able to, you know, get on top of some of these guys, threaten some of these ninja chokes. Um, and that's the thing, like he can be taken down, but he's really difficult to hold down. Like he does a really good job of uh, basing, frame, uh, framing, shrimping. Um, I think he's like a four strike purple belt now. So, you know, not anything crazy, but obviously one of the main training partners of Charles Oliveira out at that shoot box camp in Brazil. Um, and obviously I think the UFC thinks something of this guy, right? You know, he was pinned to make his original debut, I think, against Timur Valiev as well, who's, who's not an easy, not a cupcake of a debut, right? So yeah, and to your point, he's only fought once in the last three years. So, uh, you know, there is a little bit of guessing game here, but I just think it's interesting that Castaneda was like a plus 170-ish dog or whatever to Miles Johns. Now he's a minus 200 favorite. It just seems like kind of a, a recency bias, market overcorrection sentiment spot where I think we can we can get a nice little buy low spot uh, on this Santos kid. No supreme degree of confidence, uh, but I, I just think it, the, the fight should be aligned a lot more competitive. On that topic of him being a four-stripe purple belt, I saw some clips of him rolling with Alan Nascimento, who is a slick-ass grappler, and Daniel Santos submitted him. So, I mean, let's just say that I wouldn't sleep on his ground game either, but I expect the fight to primarily take place uh, standing. Now, kicking off the main card, we got a lightweight matchup between Mike Davis, he's 9-2, and two, taking on Vyshlav Barshov, who is 6-2. and two. And currently, at DraftKings Sportsbook, we got it. Mike Davis, minus 175, the comeback on Vyacheslav um, Barshov is plus 150. So, Luke, what do you think, man? I mean, I think we both agree that Mike Davis is probably the more athletic guy, the more physically gifted. Definitely has an advantage wrestling-wise. Striking is where it's going to be interesting. How you see it going down? Yeah, dude, I think this is probably one of the most intriguing matchups on the card. I love both guys. I'm a fan of both guys. They're both very fun to watch. Um, my questions with Davis are primarily twofold, kind of just like where he's at right now, just because he's been so inactive. I think he's only had one fight in the last three years. And uh, I was listening to a couple other podcasts this week with uh, my buddy Narco Cop saying that he had Davis on his spaces a while back and, you know, was asking about, like, you know, what, what what's the deal with the inactivity? And he said he's just been battling all these health issues over the last three or so years. I'm not sure what it is specifically. But I just think that's something interesting Interesting to note why why he necessarily hasn't been in the cage. I think he did suffer a big knee injury uh, in, uh, in there to boot. But um, that that's kind of hesitation number one with Davis. But then stylistically, Davis does come from a wrestling background. He is a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. Um, he has mixed takedowns into his fights. But he's not really the guy to go out there and dive on legs for 15 minutes or, you know, just rack up extensive amounts of control time, you know, go out there and, 
take the back and submit a, a ton of guys. He has on a few occasions, but in general, you know, he's, he's primary, primarily a boxer, right? And we know the kind of the, the blueprint out on how to either take minutes, rounds, or fights off of Slava, and that's that's to go to the wrestling and, you know, get get after the, the K1 kickboxer who just moved over to MMA in the last four years. Um, you know, we saw D, D1 Jacasey in that last fight for sure. It's just, I don't, I just don't, I don't know if we have enough of that from Davis to sit there and say he's going to go out there and accrue 12 and a half minutes of control time on Borgia. He might be able to. Um, but like I said, my question is, is that even his game plan to come out here and aggressively wrestle? I'm not sold. If he does, can he duplicate that? I'm not necessarily sure. Um, nonetheless, I think it's a path for him on the feet. It's boxer versus kickboxer. I think Davis, you'd have to favor in tight. You'd have to favor Borchev at range. We've seen Davis struggle with some of the kicking components, especially to the calf in the past, which I think is a nice little feather in the cap of, of Borchev. Um, obviously, both guys very powerful, very dangerous, work consistent work rates. But I would say Davis is probably the more durable party uh, at this point, at least in terms of the firefights where we have seen um, that'd be a little bit of a chink for Borchev, uh, despite not getting officially knocked out. We have seen him drop before. We have seen him hurt before so i would lean davis on the durability so um but in general man i i do think it's probably a competitive scrap i, I lean to the davis side but from a betting perspective i could probably only go one way on the dog in in Borgia. yeah i mean i lean davis as well my issue is that davis likes to go to war with every single person he fights he's the kind of guy that wants to beat you at your own game so even though there's that you know more likely path to victory which is go there and wrestle against slava or uh, Davis is the kind of guy that wants to prove a point. He wants to draw that line in the sand. He wants to say that I beat the K1, uh, K1 kickboxer um, in a striking match. Like, that's just the kind of guy he is. He'll mix in some takedowns along the way, uh, but he, he's not a guy that's going to come out here and stall. He's going to try to fight you, which as a fan, we love. It's just when we're laying minus 175, when we're laying minus 200, I need some, you know, I need some insurance here. I need to know for a fact that you're going to do – you know, take that path to least resistance, and I just don't know if he's going to do that. Now, with that said, that doesn't mean he can't win this fight on the feet. I think that Davis is extremely talented. I think that he's also, like, a supreme athlete, man. I think that he's a real talented physical specimen that can get away with certain things because of his athleticism, but his, technically speaking, he's up there too. And you mix those two things together, and he's a problem. Now it's just about, you know, getting in there consistently getting those rounds in because like you said he only fights like once every couple of years um so on one hand you might see a much more improved version of davis on the other hand uh you know it might be kind of a wild card so i'm not quite sure but i do lean davis i mean if we're getting the best version of both guys i think davis might even make it look easy but based on davis's history it's probably going to be a war but give me davis regardless so before I talk about Jessica Panay versus Tabitha Ricci, I want to give a big shout out to DraftKings Sportsbook who are sponsoring today's episode of the podcast. Um, everybody do me a huge favor, smash the like button, hit the subscribe button if you're not already subscribed. So thank you, DraftKings, for uh, sponsoring today's episode of the podcast. So guys, the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out. 
In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. So, for example, you know, I like my Falcons. I know that the Falcons may not be the best this year, but you know how I run. You know how I roll. It's ATL teams all day, but y'all got to roll with your team. And even for the UFC fight with the same game parlays, you know, you can do Mackenzie Dern and Mackenzie Dern by submission if that's what you're feeling, right? So to make things even sweeter, you could throw down on stepped up same game parlays once per game day all season long. So guys, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code LEVY. That's my last name. Spelled just like Levi Jeans to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code LEVY only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and, elig and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right. Now, Luke, let's talk about this matchup in the strawweight division between Jessica Panay. She's 14 and 6, taking on the baby shark, Tabitha Ricci, 7 1. And currently at DraftKings Sportsbook, they got it minus 210 for Tabitha Ricci. The comeback on Jessica Panay is plus 180. So, listen, I know that Jessica Panay. It's interesting because I was writing her off when she made her UFC return. Like, you remember how she popped uh, for that drug test or whatever. She changed her biological passport, whatever the fuck that means. Doesn't sound very good. And prior to that, she had taken a ton of damage against Joanna, against Jessica Andrade. She comes back and she wins against Lupi Godinez, which even if you scored it for Lupi, the fact that it was even competitive, like, was at least a step in the right direction for Jessica. And then the next fight against Carolina, she definitely impressed. But she kind of showed her age a bit in that Emily Ducote fight. And her opponent here, Ricci, I got to give her credit. She's a tough chick, man. I mean, in that Fioro fight, she definitely took the whooping, but she took it admirably. You know, I don't think that she showed any quit. And since that point, I think that She's definitely on the greener side, but I think she's showing a couple things here and there that she can build upon. You know, she's got the jujitsu background. She's in very, very good shape. Now she's got, you know, a couple fights under her belt. She's starting to feel more comfortable out there. So does she come out here and cover this price tag is the big question. Well, I, I got I got my Ricci, Ricci merch on. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a Ricci truther. I've been a Ricci truther for a while. I've watched all of her stuff in LFA. It's happy to eventually see her get the call. To your point, obviously, makes her debut, gets butchered by Fiero up a weight class. Showed a lot of toughness and heart in that fight, though. You know, it was a, it was standing TKO. It's not like she got put out cold and fight lasted, you know, eight minutes. Um, but, yeah, to your point, I, I do think she is still, you know, reasonably green. You know, she's developing as a striker. Um, but she is aggressive. She's going to throw strikes. She's going to come forward. Um, she definitely has her success in the pocket. Um, she's not – a big girl at least in terms of like length or anything like that she's only like five one with like a 61 or 62 inch reach but she's very physically strong she's pretty good when she's able to get to those body lock positions and land her trips throws all of that stuff and she's obviously shown to be completely fine on the ground and you know finish some girls back regionally um even you know in the ufc she's obviously had some struggles in terms of getting these girls out of there um but nonetheless she's consistent to shoot she's consistent to land her takedowns maybe not at the greatest accuracy because she's but because she's shooting so many of them she's able to get them she's obviously you know very strong from top positions and being able to uh, you know rack up minutes i think i just generally her optics 
are good. Like I in like this level of WMI to like the lower to mid tier, a girl who's going to go forward, throw a lot of strikes, make noise, <laughs> be aggressive, shoot takedowns, black belt in both judo and jujitsu. Um, it's it's really all all you want to see. I do think you're, you're definitely going to get a a bump back spot for for Ricci probably in the near future where she might get pushed up the ladder a little bit too much. Um, but I guess just to touch on Panay real quick, she's bigger and she's longer, but she doesn't use her uh, like length with any sort of the, the efficacy. You know, she gets hit pretty consistently. Her takedown defense is poor. She's fine to play, you know, from her back. So I think Ricci should be able to land takedowns here. I think Panay's fine to play in that realm. At the same time, I think both girls are competent enough, you know, submission grapplers to Ricci not finish and also Ricci not, you know, get caught in some like meme, you know, guard sub too. And that's kind of the thing with Panay too. Like she's fought a couple small girls in Dakota and Daniel Taylor too. And both of them had, you know, very consistent striking success. I would say obviously Dakota is a more polished striker than Tabitha Ricci. But point being is that we have seen smaller girls go out there and land on her with impunity in the past. So um, I do think it's a good spot for Ricci. However, if there is a scenario where Ricci is threatened with the guard of Panay and they decide to stand and strike for the better part of 15 minutes, you know, would I feel great with a Ricci minus 200 ticket? You know, probably not, right? So that's kind of where it's interesting. I think if you got in kind of on, on some of those earlier numbers around like the 160, 170-ish, that was probably a bit better. But yeah, there, there's still just some wonkiness that's in the back of my mind and i'm obviously a little bit biased too but i think from like a minute winning perspective i, I do like ricci uh, in this fight that's funny i thought your hat said uh team rico i was like who the fuck is rico <laughs> it says ricci um i mean like listen it's one of those things where ricci's still kind of green like i said she's still working her game out but i think she can probably get by this one you know just being a little bit more youthful, you know, being a little bit more vigorous, uh, having a bit more of a commanding presence when it comes to the judges' scorecards. So, give me Tabitha Ricci here. Um, let's let's see. I'm curious to see if she covers this price tag. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Joaquim Silva. He's 11 and three, taking on Jesse Ronson, who is 21 and 11, and currently got it. Joaquim Silva. Minus 135, the comeback on Jesse Ronson is plus 115. So I know that uh, my boy Joaquin Silva's had a rough run as of late. Uh, you know, had a, was having a competitive fight with Nazrat, got caught with that big overhand left. And then in the Rick Glenn fight, man, tried to close the distance on the much taller guy, threw a big loop and hook and got countered right down the middle. So props to both those guys for catching him. Now, this fight here is interesting because Jesse Ronson officially has never won a UFC fight, but between you and me, he did beat Nicholas Dalby. But the thing about that Nicholas Dalby fight was that it was at 170 pounds. I felt like he looked significantly better at 70s than he did at 55, but not that he looked like a world beater at 70s. Let's not exaggerate. Just more so, you know, those extra 15 pounds do probably take a lot out of him. I did see him look a little bit slower in the Rafa Garcia fight, but to break down Jesse Ronson's game, I just think that he's kind of, you know, like a slick southpaw, kind of throws down the pipe a little bit, which, you know, Neto BJJ, Joaquim Silva likes to throw big looping hooks and usually straight down the pipe beats those looping hooks. It's just that 
if Jesse Ronson is kind of slowing down a bit, I'm not sure how efficient he's going to be with those straight punches. And more often than not, when you just compare their overall UFC careers, I do think that Joachim, despite being, you know, a little bit on the slower side and a little and a little bit on the sloppier side, I think that he's been decently effective. Takedown defense, his get-up game, he's got good power. And don't sleep on, on his grappling either. I mean, the guy, I know he loves bang. He's got kind of that, uh, what's the name of that dude that had that black belt in jiu-jitsu but used to bang every single fight and never used his jiu-jitsu? Uh, George Gorgel, maybe? Okay. Yeah. yeah. He's got a little bit of that George Gordell thing going where, like, Joachim Silva loves to bang, but the dude can grapple. I mean, he was just in a grappling competition with Neil Magny, who towers over him, who's way bigger than him, and Joachim submitted him within, like, two minutes with a guillotine choke, man. And you saw that uh, knee bar he attempted on Jared Gordon, man. I mean, that shit fucked up Jared Gordon for a couple years. He had him injured. He ended up knocking him out, but... Jared Gordon was so tough that he didn't tap out, but lesser men would have tapped out. I think Jesse Ronson would have tapped out in that spot. So it's just about, you know, uh, Joachim Silva's gotten out of his comfort zone. He, you know, he comes from the same uh, camp as uh, my boy Masaranduba Trinaldo, you know, the Evolucial tie un- under Master Dida, Master Andre Dida. So under Master Dida's, you know, with his blessing, now Joachim Silva is actually in Florida at ATT, and I think he's got a great sparring partner for this fight in Natan Schulte, who's also kind of one of these guys who is just going to get in your face, who's got nonstop output. I think that's a really good look for Ronson. I think that's a, a better Ronson. I think it's a more aggressive Ronson. Maybe not as clean as Ronson, but I think faster, more youthful, um, and just uh, I think that's the right look. I think he's got the right environment. So as long as his chin's not completely shot, I, I do see Joachim Silva most likely getting it done. I'm considering a bet, but I'd like I'd like to get closer to pick him. Because if you're giving me pick him odds on Jesse Ronson to to lose a UFC fight, then I'm taking it. Yeah, dude, I don't really have a strong opinion on this one. Uh, I, th- I think there's arguments to be made for both sides. A lot of it, honestly, is kind of narrative based for me, which is usually not my not my mo. But obviously, we had Ronson get popped off that or pop for steroids and you know this is his second fight back down at 155 he goes and makes that 155 like re-debut against garcia and i mean that was the worst that jesse ronson's ever looked in his whole career and i had now i had a ticket on ronson there and I'm, I'm not really sure what the deal was he just looked slow he looked plotting he didn't look he just he didn't look prototypical jesse ronson in my opinion so figuring out where jesse ronson is at right now is kind of a little difficult Similar with Silva, though. I mean, he's he just got viciously, viciously knocked out in his last two uh, last two fights. Hasn't been the most active party in the world. And, you know, historically with how Ronson is struggling, though, it's kind of more of with your grinding-based game plans, at least in recent years. And the thing with Silva is, despite, you know, his uh, jiu-jitsu background, he just doesn't really pursue a ton of wrestling. Um, so... I think it's probably a fun fight standing, assuming both guys let their hands go. Both obviously have shown power components, uh, both with some questionable durability. Um, I guess I'm kind of more on the plus money side of Ronson, but I think probably a better bet for the fight, I think, is uh, looking looking towards violence on unders. But um, yeah, dude, I actually have to jump on a, on a meeting here in four minutes. I apologize. It came kind of came up last minute. Uh, my schedule was cleared, but unfortunately not. So I'm going to have to jump off, but I uh, really appreciate you having me on, bro.
It was my pleasure. Uh, real quick, Jocko or Alan? Uh, Jocko. All right, man. You take care. I'll see you soon. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, boss. Peace. See ya. Hey, Uncle Wheezy, if you're in here, man, uh, click this link I just shared in the chat and come on here and, and talk the rest of the car with me. Um, now, uh, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Brendan Allen, Allen, he's 19 and 5, taking on Chris Jocko, who's 24 and 5. Currently, they got it. Wow. So they got it. Chris Jocko minus 115, and Brendan Allen is minus 105. So basically, a pick em with a slight lean towards Jocko. It's a very interesting fight. Very, very, very interesting fight. Um, because Chris Jocko has kind of been the more consistent guy in terms of like, if it's a close split decision type fight, he's very good at winning those close decisions. But when it comes more to the damage and the finishing fights, I think that Brendan Allen's got the edge there. You know, the last time Chris Jocko finished a fight, off the top of my head, I actually bet him uh, when he was plus 200 against Tamden McCrory. So Tamden McCrory, the barn cat, this is a long-ass time ago. Uh, that's I think it's the last time that Chris Jocko finished a fight. So... I mean, again, this is MMA, this four-ounce glove, so I'm not saying he can't come out here and finish a fight. And Brendan Allen has been finished twice in the UFC, no doubt about it. It's just more so that the finishing threat often isn't there with Chris Jocko. The threat that's there is he's very, very good at winning these decisions, and that's the big concern here, man. So with Brendan Allen, I think he's an extremely talented kid. It's just sometimes the decision-making isn't quite where you want it to be. You know, he's just a kid. He was born in 1995, and he's one of these guys that originally it was a case where, like, I needed him to become a black belt for his style to truly work. And now he became a black belt, and you've seen some flashes here. You know, he submitted Kevin Holland. He's beat a bunch of, you know, some decent guys along the way. But now it's not even about being a black belt anymore because now he's swimming with the Sharks. Now it's like I need the maturity to catch up, right? And once the maturity does catch up, I, I think that this kid is good everywhere, man. I think that he's got power on the feet. Obviously, you know about his ground game a long time. It's just that from time to time, he can be put on his back. Um, you know, he can be outstruck. He can be chinned. So Allen's a wild card, but I think he's I think he's more talented than Jocko. It's just, can I trust Allen? That's the big question. And with Jocko, you know, he's got the fancy footwork. He's very good at, you know, doing just enough, just slightly outpointing you on the feet. And then you get kind of desperate. You want to charge him. You know, he'll change levels. He'll take you down at the end of the round and steal it on the judge's scorecard. So he's been very, very good at, uh, at winning these close decisions. So I don't know. This, this is a tough one for me to call. I think this is one of the toughest ones for me to call on the entire card. And I see a lot of sharp opinion on Jocko, and I do understand why, because, you know, Brendan Allen, that last fight, you know, he was like a minus three-something favorite, and that fight against Malcoon came down the wire. Now, I definitely thought that Brendan Allen won that fight, but I also definitely thought that Brendan Allen didn't really cover his price tag in, in that fight. So I think there might be a little bit of recency bias because of that performance where you kind of expected a little more from Allen and he kind of underperformed. But I think that is a different matchup. You know, I think that Malcoon, despite, you know, he doesn't have the name that Jocko has, but I think he's one of those guys that, you know, will attempt 14 takedowns in the fight. Jocko isn't really that guy. Jocko's just kind of like a, a straightforward meat and potatoes Euro point fighter. What's up, my boy? What's up, Uncle Wheezy? Yo, what's happening, man? How's it going? It's going excellent yourself. 
I'm doing good, dude. Doing good. Just uh, taking care of some stuff around the house. Uh, popped on the computer, saw you were rolling with Luke there, and I'm like, I'm going to sit back and watch for a while. So, yeah, I get to sit back and watch now, too, man, now that I'm talking to you. How's it going? It's going great. So basically what I was saying about Alan is I think Alan's the more talented guy, but Alan, just because he's talented doesn't mean that he actually performs how you want him to perform. I think that sometimes the decision-making is questionable, and in that last fight, he was a minus three-something favorite, and even though I thought he definitely won the fight, I thought that it came out of the wire. I thought it was super close. I thought he definitely didn't cover that price tag. But on the flip side, while Jacob Malkoon doesn't have the name that Jocko has, I don't think they fight anything alike. So I think it's a completely different matchup. You know, I think that Malkoon's a guy that will attempt 14 takedowns, whereas Jocko's more of a Euro point fighter, kind of frustrate you on the feet, slightly be ahead of you. And then when you're not expecting it, land that last minute takedown and kind of seal it on the scorecard. So I can kind of go see it going either way. I'm going to lean towards Allen actually because I do think he's the more talented guy here, but I can totally see Allen losing a, a close split decision. And Jocko just fought a similar matchup last time in Gerald Mearshart, who is kind of more the OG version of Brendan Allen, right? So he kind of knows the blueprint, but Allen's the more the younger, more vigorous, more youthful version of, of Mearshart. I mean, the kid was born in 1995, Uncle Weezy. Like, he, he's just a kid. I, yeah. I wouldn't know what it means to be born in the 90s. You understand what I'm saying? So I, with you. <laughs> it, it's one of those things. I think one day Alan's going to finally put it all together. It's just I've been saying that for like the last half decade. So maybe it's this Saturday. I'm a, I'm a slightly lean Alan, but I don't know. I don't know, man. Yeah, it's, it's tough with Brendan Allen because he's still only 26 years old. And, you know, we've been remembering this guy fighting not only in the UFC, but this guy was fighting Anthony Hernandez, Trevin Giles on the regional scene, you know, before he even got here. One of his first UFC fights was Kyle Dawkins. So he's had a really, really tough run of competition. He's fought a lot of good guys, and he's 8-2 and two up here, you know. He's doing really well, but, man, he's making some bad decisions in the cage, some really bad decisions. Um, and when you do that against a guy like Christoph Jocko, who is the perfect minute winner, when you talk about a guy who goes out there to win minutes and not win moments, it's Jocko. You know, the guy – goes out there, he keeps range, he uses those kicks to kind of hit you when you can't hit him. He'll dance, he'll put you up against the cage when he thinks you're the better striker. He'll take you down if he thinks that you're the better striker. He'll he'll keep you on the feet if he thinks you're a better grappler than him. He's always thinking. He's making good decisions in the cage. And when we see Brendan losing, we see him making bad decisions. What did he do against Strickland? He stood right in front of him. And let Strickland just box his face off. Didn't try to take him down once. Didn't try to put him up against the cage. Just what he stood in front of him while the information was downloading that he wasn't going to win minutes or moments on the feet against Strickland. So my problem with, with Brendan here is, is that he's fighting a guy that knows how to win fights, knows how to win minutes, and makes really good decisions, which means... Man, you know, how do you really bet Brendan Allen when you know that Jocko is going to keep range, when you know that Jocko is not going to let Brendan Allen take him down? Um, it's it's a tough spot. You know, Allen's going to keep getting better, and I think this is a very important fight for Brendan Allen because he's going to learn how to point fight here. You know, he's going to learn, yes, what's up, Luke? <laughs> what's up, dude? <laughs> He found he hey, found your replacement, dude. I mean, like you were gone ten seconds, and I'm like, I'm jumping in there, man. 
<laughs> I, I can I can dip back out it, it, since you came in, Wheezy, if, if you want me to. They they just moved it back another hour. I'm good. sorry. It's been a fiasco. No, you're good. You're, you're staying here. There's three of us now. Yeah, All man. Right. Let's do it. But yeah, that, that's my – the reason I'm picking Jotko for this fight is because he always makes good decisions, because he, because he knows how to win minutes, because he's probably going to do what Brendan doesn't want him to do, and Brendan probably won't be able to make adjustments mid-fight to kind of counteract what Jocko's doing well. So I'm picking Jocko by decision. All right, Luke, let's hear it. Yeah, I'm on the Jocko side as well. I think it's probably a reasonably competitive fight, but I kind of, uh, I came down on the Jocko side for probably two primary reasons. I think that Jocko is one of the best defensive strikers that Allen has fought. Obviously, you know, Allen brings that that volume component. We've definitely seen improved striking from Brendan Allen, but I don't think he's going to be able to get off on the historic volume that he has been able to in the past against a guy like Jocko, who's going to kind of skate the outside point fight, really good check hook, um, good kick. He kind of fights in just like a really frustrating way, kind of similar to like a Caitlin Chukagian, maybe minus the, the high volume component and noises, but uh, he, he just, he kind of, he makes guys fight his fight, I guess, is the best way I would describe it. So I, I think Brendan might have a little bit of struggles there, but I do think the stand-up's going to be competitive. Um, but I, I do think a part of the difference maker, too, is uh, some some of the wrestling that Jocko might be able to mix in here. Uh, Allen's takedown defense isn't very good, and I still think he's still primarily more of a bottom player transitional jujitsu type of guy, more so than you know, a really strong wrestler, get on top, pass your guard, mount, pepper shots, back take, rear naked choke. I'm not discounting his grappling ability. I'm just saying in terms of like how his fights are getting there, like even in his fights with like Kevin Holland, there was lots of transitions. Even in his fights with uh, uh, Dawkus, there were some transitions where he got stuck on his back. We obviously saw him just get washed on the ground uh, by, I wouldn't say washed because he actually was able to get on top at points in that fight as well too. But that, I guess that's my point. I, I, I just don't think he's a very strong offensive wrestler. I don't think he's a very strong defensive wrestler. And we saw, you know, Jocko be completely fine in the guard of GM three, who we know is the most dangerous submission grappler, at least historically in, in the middleweight division, I think with like nine, nine or whatever subs or something like that right now. So I think he's, I think he can be positionally responsible to, uh, to not get caught. So um yeah i i don't have like a super strong opinion on jocko but i think it's a an okay fight for him with the correct game plan now next up in the light heavyweight division we're gonna match up between maxime grishin he's 32 and 9 taking on philippe Lynch, who is 15 and 5 and currently they got it hold on one sec So currently they got it. Maxime Grisham minus 175. The comeback on Philippe Lynch is plus 150. Interestingly enough, it actually uh, opened up minus 110 apiece. All the action came on Maxime. I think that Maxime has looked you know, more impressive in the UFC. But Philippe Lynch was a guy that we kind of had high hopes for with his PFL run. You know, the guy went out there, won the million dollars. There is that saying about, you know, when you... When you're sleeping with the silk sheets about, you know, maybe not running the extra miles, maybe not waking up as early, this and that. But got his feet wet, you know, got those first two fights under his belt. And I thought he looked at least a step in the right direction in that Marcy Braccio fight, at least somewhat of the version of the guy we saw in uh, the PFL, even if it was 205 and PFL was heavyweight, different weight class, I'm aware. 
Uh, Maxime's a guy who's a former heavyweight as well. You know, Maxime actually beat Volkov back in the day um, in, on his regional scene, which is kind of crazy, man. Um, and I am very grateful to Maxime for cashing that money for me against William Knight. But I think there's a different matchup here. My only issue with Maxime from time to time is occasionally he just won't do enough. But hopefully that's not an issue here because if it's not, I think he's the cleaner guy. But, you know, I do think Lynch is a powerful guy. I do think he's got a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I thought last fight was a big step in the right direction. And Vegas said pick him. So I'm curious to see how it plays out. But I'm going to actually agree with the public on this one. And, uh, Weezy, I'm going to go with uh, Maxime Grishin to edge this one out. Yeah, I'm on I'm on the Grishin side here too. You know, the fact that this guy went 15 minutes with Dustin Jacoby and kicked the shit out of him in the first round. I mean, probably almost 10-8 him. He dropped him twice. Um I just don't see Felipe Lins being a kickboxer of that caliber here. When when I watched that Pratchneal fight, I saw a dude who was just winging. I mean, he was just planting his feet and just winging. And Pratchneal is not the kind of guy who's going to take you down. You know, he's just a kickboxer. Um, I, Grishin will mix in the takedowns every once in a while. He's a very well-rounded mixed martial artist. His grappling is actually quite underrated, in my opinion. And I think he'll be the bigger guy here, and I think he's going to be the more powerful striker. This guy, he's got really heavy hands. Um, Linz was really trying to knock Prachneo out, and we've seen Prachneo get slept in the, in the first round three different times in the UFC, one of them by smiling Sam Alvey. You know, this is the last guy – that Alvy knocked out and Linz was trying his best to get this guy on skates and he, he just couldn't do it. Um, I think Grishin's going to go through this guy like a hot knife through butter. I think he's going to shave his ass. And uh, that was the pick for this week. I, I think Grishin's going to really kill this guy. Luke. Yeah, I guess complete the trifecta. Um, it, it's not like a super passionate take for me, but just like stylistically looking back at, uh, the guys that Linz has struggled with historically, you know, kind of Arlovsky, Bozer, two outside kickboxer archetypes, which pretty much falls into the blueprint of exactly what Maxine Gershon is, with obviously with what Weezy touched on too, with, you know, some offensive wrestling upside of his own. Uh, but to your point too, Dan, the, the concern with Gershon is sometimes he can be uh, a little bit tempted, a little bit more low volume, but I still think he plays in that game better enough, not, not a direct comparison, but even kind of touching back on the Jocko and Allen fight where I think he's just better from a technical capacity in that way, where I don't necessarily think it matters at the same time where it's not like the Allen fight, Felipe Linz tends to actually be very patient, uh, at least from the outside. It's usually when he's able to go forward and mix it up in the pocket is when able to, he's able to have his most success. I don't see as much of that there. Um, my primary concern for Grishin more than anything is probably the clinch. We have seen uh, Grishin get stuck against the fence in a handful of outings. We saw a little bit of that from Linz in the last outing against Prachnia as well. He has a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but he did struggle to like flatten Prachnia in that fight or, or you know, really gain any dominant positions. And back to Weezy's point too, I think Grishin's a pretty big 205, and I thought that fight he had with Dustin Jacoby was really impressive, man. I know Jacoby has fought down at 185, but a guy, you know, even if you reimagine his stats in his second UFC run, the guy's landing damn near seven significant strikes per minute. And, you know, he was able to drop that on average to about four, right? 
who's very high output, who's a very solid outside kickboxer, who's very quick too. So I think that does tell you something about Christian's defensive capabilities as well, obviously significantly hurt Jacoby too. So um, yeah, I, I think it's a, a decent spot for Christian. And next up we got in, is this an 140 pound catchweight bout as well? Yeah. What it says, we got Julia Stoliarenko. She's 10 and six taking on Chelsea Chandler, who's four and one guys. And currently they got it. It's, it's about to come here. You know, Julia Stoliarenko, she's minus 115. Chelsea Chandler, minus 105. So pick them with a slight lean on uh, Julia. And I get why. I mean, oftentimes Julia is most, you know, most likely armbar or bust. But I think that she's also been fighting significantly better competition to where in those spots it has to be armbar or bust. Whereas here, I think that there might be some more paths. I think she might be able to get some top control maybe even you know land the better strike standing chelsea i don't think she's bad i just think she's a little too green for this moment right here i think she might maybe need a little bit more seasoning on that regional scene but you know i don't like laying chalk on either of these chicks so i'm passing altogether. but my pick is julia uh wheezy yeah my pick's julia too i actually better last night to win by submission at plus 300 for a half unit um Chandler's a, Chandler's a good little prospect, I think, though. Um, she's fought a bunch of girls that have good records in Invicta. All five of her fights are in Invicta. But if you look a little bit deeper at these girls that she fought, none of them have won since she beat them. You know, so she, it, it looks like she's fighting these 2-0, and 3-0, and 4-0, 4-2 fighters. But the, none of them won since Chandler beat them. So it's... It, if you dig a little bit deeper into the strength of schedule of Chandler, it's not as good as it looks right away when you look at the records of the ladies that she beat when she fought them. Um, so Stoliarenko looked really good against uh, Jessica Rose Clark. Fantastic. Got an open mat takedown right in the middle of the cage. You know, transitioned to the top and got that arm bar almost immediately. And even in the Alexis Davis fight, um, she had Alexis Davis, I think, in a spot where most of the women in the division would have tapped to that armbar that she had Alexis in. Um, she's just a really aggressive grappler. And I also like the fight doesn't go to decision for this fight. Chandler's got seriously heavy hands, and she's knocking ladies down on the regional scene over and over again. She's very aggressive. She comes forward. There's power in both hands, and she likes to grapple as well. So I think this fight gets to the grappling, and I think if it does, Julia is extremely dangerous there. And um, if it stays on the feet, I think Chandler is going to have a lot of success with her pressure and with her power. Um, I love violence in this fight. I did bet that Stolyarenko by sub at plus three hundred for a half unit, and I think uh, Stolyarenko gets the job done here. Look. Yeah, uh, I guess I'm going to be the dissenting one of the two. I'm going to go on the other side with Chandler. Definitely not a strong opinion. I think if the fight being lined to pick is pretty fair. I think a slight lean to either girl, depending on your opinion, uh, I think is also fair. I'm a bit biased, though, because I've been talking to Chandler for like the last three three to four years. And, and what, I, do you, I, what do you I mean by that? What do you, what do you mean? That? What do you mean you've been talking to her? Not like that. <laughs> Not like that, Dan. Let's let, let's let's chill out a little bit. <laughs> no, I, I've said for a while. I was like, we're we're gonna see this girl in the UFC. I I, I thought she I thought she had some potential uh, early on out of that Nick Diaz Academy C Caesar Gracie purple belt. But I mean, yeah, you guys brought up a lot of valid points, right? Like 
obviously the strength of competition goes to uh, Julia. She's, you know, even fought them competitively in some capacity, right? I think she took the second off of Davis. I think she took the second off of Vila. She put Davis in that, that arm bar, like you touched on. Problem with Julia is though, is often she kind of accepts pressure first that comes back her way and then she'll just return fire. And where Chelsea is just go forward all the time, I think that's been a pretty consistent archetype to give Julia problems standing. Uh, her optics tend to be poor. She bleeds a lot. Yeah. Um, but like I said, she's a tough, scrappy girl. I think she's probably a bit quicker. She might be the more durable party here, actually, as we've seen Chandler get hurt a lot. But uh, she's hurt a lot of girls, to your point, too easy, that big straight left. Yeah. Um but where I disagree with you, I do think Chandler's grappling is actually good enough to not get arm barred here, um, especially because I think she's probably going to be the one more likely to be on top. And I think she's probably able to pass the guard in this spot at the same time. A few of the times you've seen her on bottom, it's been a little wishy-washy, but I've seen her uh, Kimura sweep girls. Like she's, she's competent on the ground, man. I just... I think it's a high variable fight. I think there's just a couple of different stances you can take for it. But the last thing I'll say is I do think Chandler is a, a featherweight through and through and mm -hmm. Julie is a bantamweight uh, through and through. I think there's uh, physicality advantages for Chandler. There's uh, volume advantages for Chandler. Um, there's clinch advantages for Chandler, but I think Julie is quicker, faster, probably a bit more durable, maybe a bit more dangerous as a grappler probably a bit more proven cardio, better strength of comp. So you, you can kind of, you can kind of match the X's and O's a lot of ways, uh, but I'm going to go with Chandler. Last but not least, kicking off the night, we got a bantamweight scrap between Randy Costa, a six and three, taking on Guido Canetti representing Argentina, who is nine and six. And currently they got it. Randy Costa minus 300, the comeback on Guido Canetti is plus 240. And another thing, another line, the under one and a half is minus 170, and the over is plus 140. So a little interesting, uh, minus 170 to go under one and a half. I mean, all of Randy Costa's wins have come in the first round. All of Randy Costa's losses have come outside the first round, specifically in the second round. And Luke, I believe uh, you made a tweet about the age gap. Was it 12 years or 14 years? 14. And 14 years equals 67% chance for the younger guy to win. Correct? Correct. So there's that. And then I commented to be a little smartass on the, <laughs> on the three-five sample size. But there's a 100% chance that Costa win, loses any time a fight goes past the first round. But, I mean, here's my thing. I think we all can see the potential of these two just, you know, going head-to-head -head and someone getting finished in the first round. My hesitancy with that is that Costa just got broken twice in a row, and I'm curious to see if he's a little bit gun-shy. I'm curious to see if we still see that same front-runner or if he's trying to ease into fights now. Because I don't think that Costa has a cardio issue. I, I mean, you look at the kind of shape the guy's in, he's not skipping his runs. I think that Costa has bully syndrome, which he comes out here, tries to overwhelm you, and he tries to get you out in the first round. But if you can't do that, he mentally breaks, 
and it looks like it's a cardio issue, but it's not. I mean, when you ha- when you're in the kind of shape that Randy's in, I promise you, this guy's running miles and doing all the strength and conditioning. He is in very very good shape. He's just what we like to refer to as a front runner. He's a bully. I mean, and if you stand up to the bully, the bully's gonna get tired. That's just how it goes. The thing is that my boy Guido Canetti is over 40 years old. He's been stopped before more than once. I mean, not just in the UFC, even on the Ultimate Fighter. I know y'all remember Alejandro Turbo Perez's brutal knockout on there. Um, so Randy could possibly front run in this fight and get a head kick knockout or something like that. But Guido, for a guy who I thought was completely done at one point, I was surprised he went to a split decision with Mana Martinez. I think Mana Martinez has some very underrated power in that division, and Guido ate his shots. I know he got rocked a couple of times, but he ate his shots, even won a round in that fight. And in that last fight against uh, the punching bag, he treated him like a punching bag. So I-, I was happy to see it for Guido. So I'm curious to see if Guido can extend this somehow. I mean, historically, Guido's also a guy who likes to finish fights early, but he I've actually seen him go out there and win decisions. But then on the other hand, Randy's 14 years younger. He's much more physically imposing. I'm going to lean Randy. It's just I can't lay no minus three something on, on Randy Costa. I just can't. I don't trust the guy at all. He's a front runner. Um, but I think that he's a dangerous front runner and therefore might get a head kick knockout or something. But I kind of hope that this fight is greasy and, you know, is close. And I want to see Guido have some moments, just not convinced he does. Luke, what do you think? Yeah, man, I think you broke down the fight pretty well. Costa hasn't won a fight past two minutes and he's minus 300. That's just kind of just the automatic, you know, if you've been in this game long enough, kind of red flag right off the top. I mean, I think one of my favorite bets I've cashed within the last couple of years was on Tony Kelly at plus 175 against Costa. Oh, <laughs> I was wondering what I thought hey, that was hey, His dog's barking. That means Guido's live. <laughs> oh, I hear that. He likes Guido here, man. I don't know if he's from Argentina or what, but that's my dog. Let me let me check on that. You guys keep talking. All right. right. Yeah, but I think you bring up a lot of good points, man. I I do want to at least touch on the Martinez quick fight, though, for Kennedy. I think uh, a decent bulk of that was because Martinez did absolutely nothing through like the first seven and a half minutes of the fight. And it was really when Martinez decided to do things. That's when he started to, you know, start landing more shots. That's when he started to, you know, hurt Kennedy. But if you remember the first round, Kennedy just like circled the outside and kicked him. And Martinez just kind of like looked at him for the first round. So I think that was part of it. But I do agree. Mana Martinez uh, has power. I just think kind of the dynamic. I just thought he fought him kind of like a dummy, which is why it was closer than it should have been. Um, But stylistically, historically, Kennedy does struggle with general pressure and i do think that's something that costa is going to bring obviously the more youthful party more explosive um we've seen uh kennedy's durability come into question but yeah i mean you're still kind of in no man's land with randy costa in a fight out of the first round right like i mean what does it look like i have no idea uh, honestly i think what the best path to victory for kennedy would be is to come out here and wrestle like he's he's shown the ability to do it a little bit in the past um it's been a component of him winning some of his fights within the UFC. Obviously, Costa has been submitted in both of his losses, but more so out of failed TDAs from himself after he gets exhausted and then guys, you know, take take his back or finish him that way. But I think just Kennedy, 
not doing the dance around the outside circle thing, you need to make cost to work, right? That's it, it's an established cookie cutter blueprint, you know, at this point, or at least just take the ass whooping, survive. He, he gasses himself trying to finish you, right? But I think it would be good to kind of take a similar approach, even to what Kelly did. Obviously, Kelly, uh, that fight was more clinch heavy than like wrestle heavy. But it was that clinch attritional work that 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 really broke Costa down. So I think if Kennedy comes out here, puts on a singlet, uh, shoots some takedowns, tries to sap that gas tank of Randy Costa, there could be some merit. He could go out there and bonk Randy Costa too, right? Kennedy throws everything into every one of his kicks. Like everything is just 100% power for Guido Kennedy. Not a historic, you know, pace machine per se, but everything he throws is hard. Shit, he had Marlon Cheeto Vera and some deep shit you know, in the first round of their fight, if you remember that. But uh, at the same time, we're dealing with one of the oldest fighters on the roster in Kennedy. And me talking about the wrestling, the guy hasn't wrestled in his last three fights. Can you anticipate him to do that? What percentage does he bonk? Does he even do enough to win a decision or sap the gas tank of Costa? I don't know. Um, but, I mean, a Kennedy live bet I think is interesting. You know, maybe a must play at this point after one potentially if he if he survives. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that things need to be perfect when you're talking about like a plus 285 dog. Like, just get it done by any means, Guido, you know, if you're taking that shot. But, Weezy, I mean, where do you kind of see – randy costa's confidence after it's not just that he took two l's it's that he got broken in both those l's he took a knee against adrian Yanez. he covered up and wanted no more against tony kelly where do you think he's at mentally do you think he feels like he belongs in the ufc i don't think he does i don't know i mean personally i've seen a guy with so many holes in his game the thought of laying minus 300 on randy costa makes me want to puke i mean it really does Luke said it absolutely perfectly. If you want to be a long-term winner in this game, you you cannot bet on fighters like Randy Costa. You know how many minutes of cage time Randy Costa had coming into the UFC in four fights? 2.47. I was at his debut. <laughs> Dude, were you one of the guys holding that giant head? They had the cardboard cutouts of his head in the crowd, dude. I mean, like, dude, it was fun watching Randy Costa tape. You can watch his entire career in 10 minutes, okay? <laughs> and and you can you, you you watch those regional scene fights, and, like, literally everybody in the crowd is rooting for Randy Costa, and he is absolutely shaving these dudes' asses, you know, in 10 seconds, in 12 seconds, in 18 seconds. But there, we've seen a couple guys do what you need to do against this guy, which is – when somebody's a really good kicker like Costa, you walk forward, dude. You don't let that guy plant his feet. And that's what Tony Kelly did for the entire fight. That's what Adrian Giannis did in the second round. In the second round, Giannis started tubbling and tripling up his jab, and he was walking forward the entire time, and it broke Costa. It broke Costa when Tony Kelly started walking forward from the very first second. Tony Kelly didn't stand in front of Randy Costa for one second. And look what happened, man. So it's, I think it's a pretty easy plan for here for Guido Canetti. I think he's got to walk forward. I think he's got to mix in the wrestling, like uh, like Luke said. He's nine of eighteen on his takedown attempts in the UFC, so the guy can actually wrestle a little bit if he wants to, and if he can weather that early storm, get past those first one hundred and fifty seconds. Because once a fight is won over one hundred and fifty seconds, Randy Costa is zero and three. So. I, you know, there's paths here for Guido Canetti. I would not lay this juice on Randy Costa. 
If you're going to bet them to win, bet them to win by first round knockout or even bet the under 0.5 because that's how he wins. All six wins coming under 150 seconds. All three losses come over 150 seconds. Front-loaded bully, just like you said, Dan. And uh, this is this is a good spot for Kennedy to walk forward, mix in the wrestling, weather the early storm, and potentially get a win here. But I, I'm still picking Costa to win by first-round knockout. But there's no way in hell I'm betting it. Yeah, and on the topic, we talked about Mana Martinez. We talked about uh, Randy Costa's debut against Brandon Davis. Mana Martinez and Brandon Davis are fighting, so it be interesting to see if Mana can get that first uh, UFC knockout because Davis, you know, I like him, I respect him, but I think he's a lot better at 45s than he is at 35s. So I'm not sure if his chin can take a Mana Martinez punch. So I'm very interested to see what the odds are on that. So, gentlemen, before I get you out of here, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. Um, all the fans, do us a huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe. Again, apologies about my audio issues. I promise to have them sorted out for the next card. But I want to thank Luke and uh, Uncle Weezy for joining me. So, Luke, what is the fight to watch for UFC Vegas 61? Was that to me? Sorry. Yes, sir. Uh, the fight to watch has definitely got to be Davis Borchev. I think that's gonna, I think that's gonna be chaos. Well, potentially not chaos if Mike Davis goes out there and puts on a singlet. Maybe it is a boring fight, but something tells me that Davis might go out there and stand and bang. I think that's that's got to be your number one candidate for for fight of the night. Uncle Weezy, that fight to watch. Dude, there's no doubt about it. It's Davis Borshev. I can't wait to see that fight. And, you know, we don't get to see Mike Davis fight nearly enough. I don't know what's going on with this dude. Why is he not fighting? He hasn't fought since January of 2021. So I don't know if there's some, you know, health issues going on here for Davis. But I get excited every time this guy walks into the cage. He's been in nothing but great fights. Um, so I I'm really looking forward to that fight. And I don't think Davis... You know, I think Davis is a good wrestler at getting guys to the ground, but I don't think he's like a Khabib type where he gets a lot of control time and wins with top control and ground and pound. I think uh, Borshaw is going to get back up, and I think it's going to be an absolute banger. I can't wait for that one. And for me, my fight to watch is Barcelos versus Trevin Jones, man. I mean, I think that Barcelos, people were calling this guy WEC Aldo just a few fights ago. People were saying that this guy's going to fight for a UFC title. And I love his output. I love his Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He fights with a lot of spirit. And if there's one thing his opponent, Trevin Jones, can do, he can knock people the F out. So I'm very intrigued by that fight between Barcelos and Jones. Luke, who is the fighter to watch? I'm gonna go all the way down. To, I'm gonna go with my girl Chelsea Chandler. I, I want to see. I want to see how she does. Uh, you know, in the in the UFC, and I, I think it's probably gonna be a fun fight. Um, and we're gonna see if she can if she can maybe live up to the prospect that that I think she might be. But she yeah, she's definitely got her hands full with uh, Julie Ju. But uh, I'm gonna be looking forward to my girl uh, Chelsea's debut. Uncle Weezy, who's the fighter to watch for UFC Vegas 61? I'm going to say Mackenzie Dern. Um, I saw a lot of things that I liked out of Mackenzie in the last fight. I've always said when you have that kind of grappling pedigree, there's no reason to ever fall in love with your hands. Just walk forward, pressure, put that opponent on the back foot, corner off the cage, get, get their back up against the cage, shoot that double leg, get on top. But Mackenzie can pull guard. 
Mackenzie can try to take your back standing. She doesn't have to necessarily get the takedown. Her jujitsu is so good. She can work from the bottom, roll for a leg lock, use that to sweep, get on top, and work for those submissions. I need to see Mackenzie Dern take that next step to, to continue to fight in the way that she's going to be able to use those gifts that she has, which is that black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, that amazing submission game. And she's got a great test here in, in Zhang Anyan. And I really believe that if we see Dern walking forward, if we see, if we see Dern sell out to get that grappling, we're going to see the archetype of fighter that can win the championship in this division. Wow. And, and for me, my fighter to watch is Randy Rude Boy Brown. Listen, this guy's minus 300 against Trinado. He's got quite the price tag to cover, but I've thought since day one that this kid is extremely talented. He's got a lot of potential. I think that I personally think he's a top 15 guy right now. And winning this fight is going to further cement that claim. But winning this fight with style points is what's going to get him over that hump to that next level. And I just got to pay attention to see if he's going to do that because Trinaldo's no walk in the park. The only guys that finish Trinaldo are legit fighters. And we want, I want to see, like, is Randy Brown going to finally live up to this potential that I've been saying he's had since day one? This is a fight that's going to let me know that. So for that reason, Randy Rudeboy Brown is my fighter to watch. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me on this special edition of Half the Battle. You can follow Luke at uh, SWR underscore betting. You can follow Uncle Weezy. Uncle Weezy, what's your what's your Twitter? It's at MMA Weezy. Okay, at MMA Weezy. You can follow me at Best Fight Picks. Subscribe to Half the Battle everywhere podcasts are found. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. I promise I'm going to work out the audio issues for the next episode, but thank you all for sticking around. And uh, until the next time, let's cash these bets.